Well, uh, what a week. Um, I know for some of us, for some of this, this week was probably pretty normal, but I know uh, some of you Sunday afternoon a week ago just got really crazy. So I've never, I've been in the Northwest my whole life, never been excited for the rain to come until this week because uh, we just needed rain. Um, I, I, it was after church, I think last, uh, last Sunday, I heard someone had to go get someone's animals because of an evacuation. I'm like, what is going on? And, and I just didn't really think much of it. And, and then within a couple hours, my phone was just blowing up with texts about people having to evacuate and just crazy. So I'm, I think all of our people from Harvest have been back in their house for at least a couple days now. So thankful for that. I, I I believe, from what I've heard, is that there have been no homes lost, no buildings lost at all from the fire. So grateful, uh, grateful uh, for, uh, man, God's, God's kindness in, in a hard, hard situation. Um, and it made me think a bit about our passage this week and just how do we respond when, when life, uh, when circumstances uh, take a very different turn than, than what we anticipated. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts Chapter 14 will be in verses 8 through 18. Andrew took us uh, through verses 1 through 7. Last week, he, uh, he started off with a map. So I'm going to start off with a map um, as well. There's nothing funny about this map. People are laughing already. It's just a map. <laughs> Maybe you're laughing about something else. It's just a map. So there's the map. In fact, it's the map that Andrew did. I just took it without his permission even. So, um, so we're, we're, uh, we're into Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, right? And last week we were, were up at uh, three there, Iconium, and, and um, uh, they are preaching the gospel. Um, people were responding to the gospel. Uh, believers uh, were, were uh, people were being born again, coming to faith in Christ, and this opposition uh, rose, right? Uh, some Gentiles, some Jews, uh, they came together to, to come against uh, this, this work, uh, this gospel work that was happening. They were ready to mistreat uh, Paul and Barnabas. They were ready to, to stone them even. So then they left to uh, Lystra. Um, and, and back up even before this, so they were sent by the, the church in, in Antioch, not the number two Antioch, that's a different Antioch. Um, they were sent by their church in Antioch. And I, and I hope that we, we keep that in our mind as we follow them on this journey, that, that their church, led by the Holy Spirit, um, they, they determined that, yeah, we need, to, we need to send some of our best people to go preach the gospel. So, um, so they're in Iconium. Uh, they have to flee because of the opposition. They, they end up here in Lystra. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 8, if you follow along with me. <clears throat> now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, uh, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And, and if you've been with us, this story sounds pretty familiar. We, we heard one like it in Acts 3. Right? There's a uh, man who'd been lame his whole life. Um, there's this intense uh, stare. There's a, a command to get up and walk. The man gets up. The crowd's going crazy because they'd known this guy his whole life had, had been uh, unable to walk. The, the difference was that was Peter back in Acts 3, and, and this is Paul. And Paul is he's teaching. Uh, there's not a synagogue here, um, right? There's not many Jewish people, though I'm sure there were some. Um, but he's, he's teaching, 
and there's a crowd, and there's this crippled man from birth who is intently listening to Paul. And if you if you've done any public speaking, right? If you're a teacher, if you have to do presentations for work, um, you if you've done it enough, you feel like you know the people that are following you, that are paying attention just by looking at their faces, right? Like you can, you can tell the people that seem to be encouraged by what you're saying just through their eyes or how, how they're smiling perhaps, how they nod along with you, or at least we think we can tell, right? Who's, who's paying attention? I think I'm good at it. I, uh, one thing I am getting good at though is I can tell when people are getting sleepy too, right, at church, <laughs> right? You can see those eyelids suddenly get really heavy, and, and they're struggling. Or uh, my favorite is, is the one that's trying to really fight. Like some people just give in. That's fine. There are worse places. You could fall asleep in church. But some people are like determined. And they, they got this stare. Almost like they're mad at you. And they're, they're willing those eyelids up right. But then like that next phase, if you keep going, and I experienced this in school it's a couple times, you're staring at that teacher or perhaps a pastor, and you're, you don't really hear what they're saying. You're kind of starting to rock your body back and forth, not even willingly, and you're looking at that man or that woman, and suddenly there's two of them up there. <laughs> Wait a second. So if you ever see me smile uh, during the sermon at a time that doesn't really line up with what I'm saying, that might be why. I might be dialed in on you. Um, anyway, what Paul sees, though, is he sees this man who is listening intently, right? He's, he's listening to what Paul is teaching. And Luke doesn't give us the all the details of uh, any of these sermons, certainly not this one. All we know is that Paul's teaching and this guy's listening to him. Um, certainly he was, he, was, uh, he was going to take these people to, to Jesus. He was going to talk about Jesus if he wasn't already doing that. And Paul sees this man and he, he sees not just that he's listening intently, but he sees the faith of this man, right? So th- this is more than, than just some public speaker who, who can read a crowd, right? This is the Holy Spirit, no doubt, that is helping him know, like, okay, this man has genuine faith. And so Paul orders him to get up to his feet, to, to stand up, and immediately he jumps to his feet. He begins walking. I'm sure he's, he's testing out how everything's working. Maybe he's dancing. Maybe he's jumping around. The people are just amazed, right? They, they knew this guy. They were familiar with this man. He'd been in the town forever. He was, he was the guy that couldn't get around. He always needed help to get anywhere in town. Some of them had, had known him their whole life, and now they see that he can walk. And the crowd is excited. As far as a Christian outreach event goes, right, if you're Paul, this seems to be going really, really well. By the, by the power of the Spirit, this man has been healed, right? Anyone that was like spacing out and seeing like two of Paul, man, now they are, are they're paying attention and they're, they're excited uh, as to what is going on. It's one of those moments, uh, I'm sure, that you, you could just feel the energy of the crowd, but that energy isn't going the way that Paul would want it to, 
Right? It's certainly not what he'd been praying for, what he'd been maybe even imagining as he started speaking with this crowd. Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in, in Laconian, their own language, uh, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, uh, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. So just a, a little parenthesis here. I think uh, there's a window here into uh, uh, something that needs to be exposed in, in us, that it's easy for us to praise, to exalt uh, the messenger rather than the message. And, and Christians, we are, man, we're just as susceptible to this as anyone, right? We're quick to make heroes, out of men, out of women, and I'm talking godly women, godly men uh, who, who, uh, who, who are great teachers, who have great insight into, into Christian life, into Christian living, right? People that we, maybe we listen to them on podcasts, maybe we listen to their sermons, or we read their books, or their blogs, or whatever it is, and, and pretty quickly um, we can make our own little, little mini pantheon, uh, and, and make, make these leaders, these uh, spokespeople, uh, into our, our own Christian idols. So we, we have to ask ourselves, man, who are we worshiping? Right? Are we worshiping God who they are talking about, or are we worshiping the messenger? Back to this, though. So this is, or at least to me, this is a strange response. Yes, they saw a miracle. No doubt uh, this is supernatural. They recognize that this is a power that didn't come uh, from, from man. This came from God. Um, but where it gets strange, at least to me, is that they assume then that Paul and Barnabas are gods come down to earth. Um, uh, there's uh, a legend um, in that very town that, uh, that the gods Zeus and Hermes did come down. They came down incognito, like I think it was like 100 years before this. And, and what they did was they knocked at house after house after house, and, and no one would take them in, up to a 1,000 houses. And then they come to this, uh, this little rundown shack, cottage thing that's just dilapidated. They knock on that door. And here's uh, this, this old man, this old woman, uh, impoverished couple, right? Didn't have hardly anything, and yet they welcomed in these incognito gods. And, and they, uh, man, they, they were so generous with them. Not, not just uh, giving them a place to stay for the night, but, man, they, they made a feast out of the, the very little that they had. Well, eventually, the gods revealed themselves. They turned this poor couple's cottage into the temple for, uh, for Zeus and, and Hermes. He made the, the old man the priest and, and his wife the, the priestess. Um, and then when they died, they were immortalized. The man, I think, was immortalized as a great oak tree and the woman as a, as a great linden tree. Uh, but the rest of the homes of the people that did not take them in, they were destroyed. And so some people think, uh, several people seem to think that, that this is the background here for what we read in these verses. And so they were not going to make the same mistake uh, with Paul and Barnabas here. Um, 
And I don't know if that is exactly what is happening here. It doesn't change the story if it's, if it's not, but maybe that helps us a little bit. But Paul and Barnabas, uh, they, they, they don't know what's going on at first, right? They don't pick up on it. They're, um, the people are speaking in a different language, and they say the gods have come down. Um, there's all this ruckus going on, but it's not until uh, the priest of Zeus comes out with the oxen and is preparing to sacrifice that Paul and Barnabas put two and two together. And in verse 14, and they run out into the crowd to stop this, right? They, they're not going to be a part of this. They tear their garments. I'm sure they're probably waving their arms. They're shouting, right? They, they fully disagree with this. This is not what they want. They want Yahweh to be worshiped, not themselves. And, and obviously, right, we know that they made the right decision. But if, if we just pause there, like I wonder if we uh, could just plop down like some American Christians into this scenario, how would we handle it? Would we, would we make the same decision, right? We, we realize, okay, these people are far from God if they're getting ready to sacrifice something to me, right? They, they do not know the truth. But, but I wonder maybe, I mean, the crowd is excited. Can we find a way, right? Can, can we, can, can we kind of use this energy and, and, and push them closer and closer to the gospel, like, like maybe we can, we can figure out how, how, we can, uh, how we can shape the message with, with what they do believe and what they understand and kind of mix them together so that they will come to believe in Jesus. Obviously, they think highly of us. They're ready to sacrifice to us. So, so maybe over time, we could just teach them from a biblical worldview because we, we don't want to shut them down. Right? We, we, we want, hopefully over time, to influence them to Jesus. I, I, maybe we wouldn't do that. Hopefully we wouldn't do that. But I think all of us have had the thought at times with, with, with the gospel and someone that we want, want to believe in Jesus. Man, if I could just soften some of these offensive edges of the gospel. I just want, to, I just want them to give Jesus a chance. If I could show these people what Jesus was like, how, how, how Jesus loved the marginalized. Right? If they could just hear some of Jesus' teaching, how, how good it was. Right? If they could understand more about him, if they could see his love, if I could just give them just this little sample of Jesus, maybe, maybe then they would come to faith. Right? If I could just soften some of those hard edges of the gospel, but, but it just ends up being a bait and switch if you do that. Right? And, and that never Never works. I've, I've joked many times about tricking Lindsay into marrying me. Um, but the reality is uh, we were good friends before we ever dated. Like there's no way to trick her into marrying me. We met in church uh, in fifth grade, which is totally normal. Um, we didn't date. You didn't get that? We met in fifth grade. That's cool at church. No? Okay. Um, we didn't date each other until my senior year of college. Um, and it was a big shift, right? We'd been friends for a long, long time. And, and, and then uh, we start dating to see if, if we'll get married. And I, I remember early on realizing, like, I can't fool her. And, and it was such a relief to me that, that, that I, there was no putting my best foot forward. She knew who I was. Uh, the woman I dated before her, a woman that loved the Lord. I remember being on this, this walk in a park in Northwest Portland. I was wearing a sweater, and I, and I had just the, like, this, this moment of like, what am I doing wearing a sweater? Like, I never wear a sweater. 
I'm just trying to like be someone I'm not, which is so stupid that a sweater could do that to me. But, but the Lord used like this genuine conviction, like you're not being yourself, right? Because dating, you aren't trying to fool the other person at first, but you kind of are trying to fool the other person at first. That You're like this better version of who you actually are. Just, just someone who's, who, who's not fake, but, but a little bit more impressive than you are. And that just wasn't possible with Lindsay. Right? She'd seen me for years and years. She'd literally seen me through every awkward phase of my life. There was no impressing her. There was no bait and switch. And Paul and Barnabas, they weren't going to, they weren't going to do a bait and switch with the crowd. Right? They, they weren't going to let what was happening go forward and then eventually get down to Jesus, right? They weren't going to let these people worship them. So they, they cry out in verse 15. They say, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men. We're, we're of like nature with you, right? You don't have a clue how much greater God is than us. We're just like you. We're people like you. You think we're great. Man, we're mere mortals. I have, uh, I have pretty vivid dreams um, strange dreams, not like psychedelic strange, but uh, like grounded in reality. They could be real, but they're still like weird and goofy. I, I've told some of this dream before. I don't remember the setting, but uh, I was in a hotel. Uh, I had to go out to my car to get something. And I come out and I realize like the, the hood of my car has been popped and, and there's jumper cables to it. And I look at the jumper cables and they go to this like just beater car. This is old car that doesn't, well, it looks like it needs jumper cables actually attached to it, but it doesn't look like that'll fix the problem. And, and I look up and the guy uh, jumping the car is Steph Curry, right? Uh, four-time NBA champion, two-time NBA MVP, a guy that I kind of like a little bit. Um, so I'm like perplexed and excited that Steph Curry's there, and I look at him, and he just gives me that Steph Curry smile. If you know Steph Curry, like, he's got a good smile. And I walk over, like, and I don't know if I want an autograph or want to figure out what's going on with my car, and he looks at me, he holds up his fist, and he goes, you and me are the same, man, and fist bumps me. That's funny for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but the primary reason is Steph Curry and I are not the same, right? There, there's a big gap between me and Steph Curry. Uh, if we look at basketball skills, uh, if we look at athleticism, uh, the gap, uh, I'm sure, in, in how disciplined he is compared to me. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but, but, but where there's really no gap between me and Steph Curry is when you compare us to God, right? This future NBA Hall of Famer, that, that gap shrinks when we're both being compared to God. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's like, we're just like you. You think we're something special. No, you think we're the gods come down. No, you have no idea. You have no idea who Yahweh is. He is the one worthy of worship. Paul keeps going in, in 15b here, and he says, and we bring you good news, right? That's why they're on this missionary journey. They're there in, in this, this little, uh, little country town to bring the, the message, the gospel to them. He says, he says that you should turn from these vain things. Paul and Barnabas, certainly their, their primary motivation here is that, that God would be the one who receives worship, not them but also they want, their, their secondary motivators, they want these Gentiles to, to not just know, like, hey, don't worship us, worship God. They, they want them to turn to God and worship him. And I think what we see here is Paul's compassion for these people. 
right? They're, they're so lost, they're so blind, they're so trapped in their ways that they're ready to sacrifice oxen to Paul and Barnabas, and he just wants them to know who God is. He, he wants them to know the one who is worthy of worship. So he has this compassion for them to know what is true. Do you have compassion for those who do not know Jesus? And I'm sure every one of us in our hearts and our minds honestly answered, yes. I, man, I, I, you, have, you have family members maybe that come to mind that, that are not following Jesus. And, and you just, you so desperately, I mean, you just give anything for them to follow Jesus. You have, you have coworkers maybe that you've worked with for, for a long time, like so kind, so considerate. You would love for them to follow Jesus. Maybe it's a, a neighbor right? Just, man, some of, the, some of the nicest people you've ever met, and they don't know Jesus, and, and you, you love for them to receive Jesus, or, or whoever it is. Like, there, there are probably tons of people, right? And, and I know, like, in this room, I look around this room, and we have people that were good with making some sacrifices. Jesus can, can pull me a little ways out of my comfort zone, but do I really let him be Lord of my life? Am I submitting all of who I am to Christ? Meaning, meaning he has reign over all of, all of me, every area. Right? He's Lord of me all the time. He's Lord of my thought life. He's Lord over my possessions. He's Lord over my career. Parents, he's Lord over my kids. Right? That's, that's maybe the scariest one. He's, he's, he's Lord over my dreams. He's Lord over my finances, everything. He's Lord over it all. He's Lord over even the hidden areas that, that no one else knows about, that, that, that we, we, we've been dragging along with us for years. Is Jesus Lord, or are we trying to negotiate our own terms like these people? Next week, we continue the story, and, and we'll see the response, right? We'll see the response of the crowds and, and Paul when circumstances certainly do not go as planned. We pray with me. Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word, God. We, we thank you as we realize that you know, we're not just supposed to compare ourselves to, to the heroes, to Paul and Barnabas, but, man, we're like the crowd, too. Jesus, all, all the time, we're, we're trying to manage and, and shape you the way we want you. Lord, would you help us to stop that? Would you help us to, to just let you be Lord? God, would you help us to follow you wherever it is that you, you call us to go? Would you help us to trust in you and, and love you, Jesus, and speak about you to this world that desperately needs to hear the good news? It's in your name we pray.